Now, bring, take, you take your few Bibles out and open up to page 974. And we are going to be looking at the gospel lesson for the sermon this day, which will be from Mark, Matthew chapter 14. So, in grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So one of the things that is helpful when you're actually looking at, the, at a physical Bible is because everything is spread out before you. You see everything that's going on before it, everything that's going on after it. You can see the context. So, for example, in Matthew 14, verse 13, it says, Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. Now going backwards, it says, heard this. Now granted, our, when you heard it a little bit ago, it cheated and gave you the answer. But, what is this? If they did not cheat and give you the answer, you just read this, you'd be like, well, what's this? But right there, you can see it. You don't even have to read back. You can just see the headline of the previous section. The death of John the Baptist. So it is indeed the death of John the Baptist that he had just heard about. And by the way, this kind of plays into the overarching theme of the Gospel of Matthew. One of the major themes of Matthew is the theme of discipleship. The very last verses of Matthew's Gospel is, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Those are the very last verses of, his, of the gospel. It's all about what discipleship is. It's in Matthew's gospel that you have the words, whoever desires to follow me must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. And so, you can look backwards, you see Jesus rejected in Nazareth, death of John the Baptist. You're catching a little bit of the theme of the weight of following Jesus. Now, one thing that's unfortunately not in these pew Bibles is if you have like if your home Bible, is a lot of times you'll see like little letters right next to a word or next to a verse. And the reason is it's giving you a cross-reference. So if you were to look at your Bible at home, somewhere in that first verse, you would see a little letter that would cross-reference with J the Gospel of John, with the Gospel of Mark, and the Gospel of Luke. And the reason is, is because the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle outside of the resurrection that is recorded in all four Gospels, which kind of gives it a little bit of weight. But the thing is, is when they're all recorded in different Gospels, the challenge is to figure out what's unique about it. What is each Gospel writer trying to capture? John will deal with in March. Luke is probably for another day. But Matthew and Mark have a very tight connection. And both of them, it comes from the fact that it's right after the death of John the Baptist. So what I'd like you to do, this is where, again, it's nice to have a Bible. You can switch, turn your, turn your Bible to page 1001. That's easy. 
That's an easy number to remember. Mark chapter 6. So we're looking at Mark's account of the feeding of the 5,000, which is right after the death of John the Baptist as well. Except for if you notice that Mark's account of the death of John the Baptist is a lot longer than it was in Matthew. Which, which is really interesting because Mark is known as the gospel in a hurry. There's a lot of things in the gospel of Mark. It's like, like the temptation of Jesus is like two sentences in Mark. So he's like, yeah, he was tempted. Next story. So the fact that he stops and pays attention, that's interesting. And a sermon for another day. But the feeding of the 5,000, this is the one I'm going to focus on. So verse 30, it says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. What, what does he talk about they had done and taught? Again, this is an advantage of having a Bible. Go right before the death of John the Baptist. Jesus sends out the 12 apostles. So that's what they're talking about. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in, a, in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of him. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So Matthew is like straight out. He says, after this, he had heard about the death of John the Baptist. Mark is not as quite as obvious. But that line, looking on them as sheep without a shepherd. Because a lot of people were following John. A lot of people were learning from John. And so why, after John is dead, would they go to Jesus? Because he's the one whom John said, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. He's the one of whom John said, I am not worthy to stoop down and untie his sandals. This is the Christ. And so they flocked to him. And so he had compassion on them, looking on them as sheep without a shepherd. And note, they were ashore, which means what's right next to them? Water, a sea. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Which, by the way, their answer, when he said give them something to eat, they should have turned around and said, Nope, you. You can do it. I know you can. And that's what they should have said. But they tried to rationalize it. And let's face it, we would too. <clears throat> And it kind of squares, why isn't Jesus not wanting to send them away? This isn't all, all the counts. He does not want to send them away. It's not just because it's going to be a long journey. They're going to have to make a long journey anyways when he's done. So why did he want to send them away? Think again. This is where Matthew's helpful. helpful. In Matthew's gospel, you have the full temptation. And Jesus is told to turn the loaves of bread into stones. Or the, the stones and the loaves of bread. And what's his answer? Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
And so he knows the most important thing is not food, but the word of God. And that's why he doesn't want to send them, he's not sending them away, because they need him. They need what he is teaching. Now he does prepare, he's about to prepare a meal for them, and there's good reason for that. Something I've learned over the years is people are a little bit more attentive when they're eating. It's kind of a weird thing. Like if I'm teaching youth, I've learned that if they're eating food, it's easier than when they're not, because then they get distracted by other things. And it's also why we have a Bible study over at Subway, to some degree. Not just that, it's also good. Anyways. And they said to him, so, and he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Five refers to the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And the two refers to the law and the prophets. So it's a, full, it's a reference to the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. Then he commanded them to sit down in groups on the green grass. Where did he meet them, make them sit down on? Grass. What kind of grass? Green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. Which it should sound like a little bit of foreshadowing of breaking loaves. And they, and they ate, and all, all, and they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. And why twelve baskets? Because there are twelve tribes of Israel. And also twelve disciples. That's both connected. But notice, did you catch some of these themes? They're beside the still waters. He looks on them as sheep without a shepherd. He made them sit down in green grass. He prepared a table before them. And in the end, the baskets or the cup overflowed. Anybody recognizing something? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Jesus is enacting Psalm 23. He's living it out right before them. They shall not be in want either for the word of God or for physical food. And remember, this is right after John the Baptist has died. So again, feeding, you have a meal, you have a sermon, somebody just died, you had Psalm 23. What is this? It's a funeral. It's a funeral for John the Baptist. And that is what is going on here. And so the question then comes, what does this have, why is this for us? On the one hand, it's a reminder that when you lose someone, in fact, whenever you face any type of tribulation in the world, what you, where you need to go and what you need is Jesus. You need his word. You need his sacraments. You need his means of grace. In our culture, we try to run from death. We want to pretend like death doesn't happen. It doesn't exist.
But the reality is, is that every single one of us is destined for the grave. Every single one of us, from the moment we are conceived, we are dying. We don't know the date, we don't know when, where, or how. But when that day comes, and you have your funeral, now obviously you don't, you don't get a lot to say at your funeral, but make sure that you have your funeral ready. And make absolutely certain that your funeral is not all about you, but about who? Jesus. For you. Jesus is the center. Yes, talk about you, but ultimately the very center of it is Jesus. Because I guarantee it, if you're like me, you will have people at your funeral who are not believers, or whose faith is hanging by a thread. And that is the one time you will actually get them to set foot in a church. Do you really think, ah, eh, pastor, I don't want them to hear the gospel. I don't want to see them later. I don't want to see them at the resurrection, so don't talk about Jesus. Of course you don't want that. But you, so by the way, in a few months I'm planning to do for Bible class, actually a thing about preparing your funerals, which is really weird because everyone's going to have to have one prepared, or you're going to have to prepare it for your parents, grandparents, whatever. I've had to do that twice in the last two years. Preparing one for my brother and preparing one for my mom. So you never know when you will have to be the one to do that. Take it seriously. Because what you need, what you need, and what your family needs, and what your friends need, and whoever comes needs, is Jesus. They need his word. Because that is what Jesus is doing. He is giving them his word. Giving him, them the reason why John, what John's mission was, what John's gospel was. Now understand, that does not mean that he doesn't preach the law. There's definitely law. And if you know why John the Baptist was actually beheaded? He wasn't beheaded because he called Jesus the Christ. He was beheaded because he spoke out against Herod's inappropriate relationship with Herodias. So if you ever think a pastor or Christian should not talk about marriage and what is sinful and what is not, remember John the Baptist literally lost his head for it. So if you think you are better than John the Baptist, which you're not, because remember Jesus said nobody was greater, has been born of women than John. So according to Jesus, none of you are better. So Yes, you are also called to call out sin, even in marriage. When it comes to living together, sleeping together before marriage, and the LGBTQ plus issues. Yes, you have an obligation to do that. But you do it out of love. You do it out of compassion. Because the thing is, because... Hearing the law breaks the heart and shows the need of the Savior. And that crowd in the feeding of the 5,000, which whenever you're at a funeral, very rarely do you have to have a lot of law because right in front of the face is the, is the law. That person in the casket, that's the law. That's the consequence of a fallen world, of a broken world. 
And so them, this crowd, John having died, and Jesus probably, we don't know exactly what he said. He just says he talked. But you can imagine, he echoed, he reminded them, remember when John said these things? Now I'm telling you this and speaking on this authority, the authority that he uniquely has, but also telling him that he did not die in vain, that those who die don't die without hope. They die in the hope of the resurrection. Because Jesus, who John pointed to, of whom we all are supposed to point to, was born to die on the cross. And in his wounds and his his broken body is your salvation. It's forgiveness, life. And death is just, a, is just a doorway to eternal life. But in between now and then, as we straggle through this world, he gives us gifts. His word. And if you ever think there's a guy named John Calvin, if anybody's ever heard of him. He's, the, he's actually kind of the Martin Luther to the Presbyterian and the Reform. But John Calvin argued that Jesus cannot be on every altar around the world. That's why they said, say it's, you know, it's just bread, it's just wine. But do you not think that the one that could take five loaves of bread and two fish and feed 5,000 people when I say five loaves of bread, I don't mean wonder bread or, or, he, or whatever type of bread. I'm talking the bread, loaves of bread they had would feed maybe two people. So five of those and two fish. Basically, they had enough food to feed ten people. And yet, with that, he fed 5,000 and there was enough for 12 baskets full at the end. Do you not think that that same Jesus through the power of his word, can make his body present in the bread and his blood present in the wine. That by that, his body, his blood present in, with, and under the bread and wine in a way that is a mystery, which, by the way, that opening hymn just wonderfully confessed it a few times. He can do that. Just as he did with the, feet, with the five loaves and two bread, he can do this. And indeed, just as he fed made them, had them filled physically, you are filled spiritually. Sins forgiven. Strengthened spiritually. That is your Jesus. That is the grace that he gives, the means that he gives, the gifts he freely gives to you. To him be all glory. In Jesus' name. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep you in the one true faith, to life everlasting. Amen. Please stand.